welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at various places of domicile around the metropolitan New York City area. I'm <laughs> I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic, uh, PW's uh, twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com, blog of comics culture. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on uh, Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can rate us. That's right. You can let us know what you think of us by leaving a rating, <laughs> giving a thumbs up, subscribing, giving us feedback. But please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or the platform of your choice. Uh, and also just, you know, leave us a note. We love getting feedback and we, we just can never get enough of it. And also it helps us make the podcast more of what you want to listen to. Hit us up, why don't you? You know, we, we really – it makes us – it makes us feel bad about ourselves that we get less feedback than a crappy conspiracy theory podcast. You can do it, listeners. Give us feedback. You know what? Give us your best conspiracy theories. That's Why not? Anyway, all right. This week on More to Come, news from Disney. Turmoil at Warner Media. Sony buys Crunchyroll. DuVernay does Naomi. Uh, or I should say develops Naomi, probably. Goodbye, Book Expo, and goodbye, Book Kong. And best graphic novels of the year listings from the New York Times and The Guardian. So, news from Disney. I hear well, there's a lot. Right. So, you guys, literally, just before we were doing this podcast, I was live blogging the Disney Investor Day. You know, there was no San Diego Comic-Con. There was no D23 Expo. There was nothing this year for the big studios to get their news out. So, Disney uh, decided that this Investor Day presentation was where they would put all of their news. And Um, it was four hours. Yes. mm. Why didn't they do it at, you know, one of the online Comic-Cons? Because, the, because you know what, Kate? That's a very good question. And you know, we're going to talk about Warner Media after this. And you know, they did DC Fandom, so they did this pretty mm-hmm. huge two-day event. Um, spent a lot of money on it, like hundreds of panels, and yep. you know, really blew out their marketing budget on that. And uh, got a lot of people excited. They made some announcements, and um, you know, I don't think you know it's Disney. I mean, they're, they're, you didn't watch this, uh, and it's like, you know, everything is done to a T. They have, like, special counting. They have teaser reels. That, you know, they're doing it just the way they want to do it. They would never, ever, ever leave this up to um, somebody else's platform. Yeah, but I'm just interested that they did it, like, as an investor thing, and they didn't, instead of, like, hyping it up as a fan thing. Well, Investor Day... Uh, calls for publicly traded companies are often the place where a lot of news is, is um, released, right, Calvin? Oh, absolutely, and particularly for giant, you know, entertainment platforms like. Oh, Disney. yes, but they Disney... can roll out, you know, and they can make an, an uh, what would be a dreary kind of uh, look at, you know, you know, uh, financial report. They can kind of turn it into a semi, you know. Uh, well, it's not a fan presentation, really. Yeah, it's not. I mean, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of buzzwords, right. you know, like, yeah. like, um, you know, about leveraging their audience. I mean, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. realize some of these buzzwords, like best in class. That's a new one that I'm learning. Uh, let's see. I, but anyway, I could count the. But you get a yet. sneak peek at content for, for yes, sure, too. Yes, you do. Yeah. I mean, the first yeah. hour of it was taken up entirely with like new initiatives. That you, you're so boring, like Star Plus. You, basically, they're repackaging Hulu as an add-on for Disney Plus internationally. Okay, so you know, I don't think they would want to talk about that at a fan presentation. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm just astonished that they didn't try to monetize some of this as a fan experience, given that Disney is a major marketer of fan experiences as see Disney World. Oh, I agree. But guess what? Uh, it, you know. The year over yet. We still don't have Comic Cons, Kate. Give them time. They'll do their online D23 for sure. And, you know, they'll charge people $100 to do it because it's Disney. <laughs> no doubt. Anyway, no doubt. I've been covering 
So I'm a little bit like frazzled. Like I, you know, I just finished running a marathon or, you know, got off the Indy 500. I'm kind of, my brain Disney is marathon. buzzing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's the live blog. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of news event announced. So it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty high, high energy. Yeah. Well, what you got? Is there something that oh, leaps out? Oh, well, uh, sure. Starbucks? I mean, the log line, they announced this pretty early on so that everybody would start their stories um, that then the next few years, not really a time frame given, but, uh, you know, next two or three years, there will be 10 new Marvel TV shows mm-hmm. on Disney Plus and 10 cool. new Star Wars shows on Disney Plus. Cool. Um, so that, and then 15 new movies from like Pixar and Disney animation and live action and, you know, 15 new TV shows. So, um, let me see, uh, blah, blah, trying to get some of the most exciting stuff here, uh, that, well, I mean, this is, uh, this was exciting to me that Alien is getting a TV show by Noah Hawley, who did Fargo and Legion. I think he's a genius, so that's uh-huh. exciting, uh, yeah. for me. Okay, let's see, Star Wars, a little bit of Star Wars, um, they are Republic starring Gina Carano and a show, uh, on a Sakotano show starring Rosario Dawson. So I think the controversy surrounding both those actresses will continue. Uh, hmm. that said, super excited for the Sakotano show. Okay. Um, <laughs> they are also, this blew my mind. Um, they have a show slated Obi-Wan, which is going to star Ewan McGregor coming back as Obi-Wan living on Finally! Christensen will be returning as Darth Vader. I'm so excited for that. I think that Hey Christensen was really underrated as Anakin and Revenge of the Sith. So there. Well, I, okay. I think that, I, I, that Hayden Christensen <laughs> is an actor who just needs a very strong director and, uh, George Lucas isn't really an actor's director. He's just not. 100%. 100% agree. Let's see. Bad, Bad Batch is kind of, the Bad Batch is following up from Rebels. I guess it's about some clone troopers. I actually looked away for one minute and, you know, they don't repeat things on this. So if you miss it the first time, you miss it. Star Wars Vision, uh, Kate and Calvin, this is cool. A series okay. of animated short films from leading Japanese anime, anime yep. studios. Oh, this sounds interesting. The Star Wars universe, yes. Ah. And then they announced that there's going to be a Lando show. With the Lando Justin, show! With Justin Simeon, who made Dear White People as the showrunner. Oh. And now they did not mention Donald Glover starring, but if is Donald he gonna be back? Glover, as... They didn't announce that, but if he's not, what is the point? Cause he was so amazing as Lando Calrissian in. Yeah, yeah, but they really give us better stuff to deal with. I, I was not that crazy about it for his performance. I just thought they wasted him, but that's my opinion. Oh, that's they all. wasted him. There's they no really wasted him. They wasted They've got to do better. But he They've made the best better. of what they gave him. Yeah, yeah, but and, they got to do better. And they gave him better. They didn't give him anything to do. It was just, I don't know. That was just my, that's my well, opinion. It was, well, I mean, none of us are arguing that that movie didn't was like well written. We're just saying that hey, he was really good as Lando. He should be Lando. He's he was. Great. Look, you know what? And he can I'm be now, better too. Now he can. Yes. Now that some time has passed, when you watch Solo, it's actually a very charming movie uh, that I enjoy quite a bit. So there. Um, let me see. Okay. Continuing on. Okay. Continuing on. More we'll to come. Leave it there. Um, no. Leslie he- Leslie Headland, who made Russian Doll, is doing a Star Wars show called The Acolyte, which I wrote down as a creepy mystery set in the end days of the High Republic, a droid story about C-3PO and R2. And then uh, they're doing Willow. Blah, 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 blah. Let me see. Uh, okay. Movies, Star Wars. The new Star Wars feature is being developed by Taika Waititi. He's hard at work writing it. And cool. this was okay. huge, 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 huge. The next actual Star Wars movie on the schedule will be out in 2023, directed by Patty Jenkins. Cool. And oh. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Rogue Squadron. So. Well, we'll all be like. Right. Dousing ourselves in vaccine by then, so we, yes, you know, we should exactly. be able to go sit in the movie theater. In the movies, okay. Let's yeah. see what we I'm have. Shower. I want a oh. vaccine shower. Go right. on. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So then we moved on to some live action. You know, the Mighty Ducks are coming back. That was a comic. Turner and Hooch. Uh-huh. Really excited by that. Uh, mm-hmm. They are doing. Uh, this was huge for me. Um, they are doing some uh, books. Ba- it's based on. 
uh, books, Flora and Ulysses, this popular uh, book, uh, kids' books about a comic book fan and her squirrel. Uh, yeah, cheaper by yep. the uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid is coming ah. back. Now, this has been rumored for a while, but they're doing a new animated show. Um, uh-huh. Let me see. D, 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 D. They're doing a prequel to The Lion King with Barry Jenkins. I think that was announced before. Oh, here's the b- biggest news of the day for me. Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers are coming back with Andy Samberg and John Mulaney as Chip and Dale. Okay. Oh, okay. Now I care. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, I don't care. I don't, oh, now I care. Yes. I care. <laughs> okay, so they are doing uh, Big Hero 6 uh, Baymax series. I think that was announced before. They're doing Tiana mm-hmm. series about the star of the Princess the Frog. They're doing Moana about the star of Moana. Uh, this was cool. It says that they found these Nigerian creators who had done a uh, video or something called Nigerian Pan-Africa Comic Book Makers are going to kick Disney's ass. And with a bold name like that, they uh, looked into it. I guess it's these three very talented well, fellows. Nigeria is a, apparently a hotbed of, uh, of uh, new comics development and animation. Yes, and technology as well. Yeah, no, yeah. Lagos is, is quite the place. Uh, so this will be... Uh, Rob Salkowitz did a story uh, for for us. Uh, I'd have to look it up here, but so going ahead. But he did a story about uh, all of the new web comics that are coming out. There's a new web comics app. Uh, there's animation in the in the in the um, uh, coming along as well. So yeah, look look to um, West Africa for. Uh, uh, new pop culture stuff coming out. Big yeah, time. and so this is actually super cool because the Disney's actually teaming with this this uh, studio, this Nigerian studio, and they're going to make a series called Iwaju, which will also be shown obviously in West Africa, and you know it deals with West African myths and stories and everything. So that actually sounds pretty cool. Sounds um, and, and it has a lot to do with comic books also. So yes, you're right about them mixing um, the comics and, and animation. Okay, so here's where I left off. So, uh, oh, they haven't done the Marvel stuff yet. I guess they did a whole new story about the Marvel stuff. Uh, so I just saw that they are doing uh, a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special directed by James Gunn. Uh, they showed some what-if stuff. And, yes, they announced for real that the Fantastic Four is coming from Disney, you know, one of the Fox properties that they oh. spent all these millions just to acquire. So, you know, listen. Any details about who's going to be in it or no? No, no, no. It's way, no. way too early for it's that. Let me see. Way too early. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let me see if I can find. I'm sorry I'm typing, but uh, like I said, I had to leave off. Uh, uh, covering this to do this podcast. So let's see. And I just did the Disney stuff while we're talking here, literally. So, uh, let's see. Secret Invasion. Oh, here we go. This is interesting. They will not, re- okay, some sad news. They're not going to recast Black Panther after Chadwick Moses passing. So that's mm-hmm. incredible, you know, incredibly sad. I just get so sad yeah. every time I even talk about that. Uh, okay, they're doing a Secret Invasion show starring probably Samuel L. Jackson about Nick Fury. Hmm. Uh, they're doing a series for Ironheart with Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams. Oh. Uh, and that John Cheadle will return as War Machine in a series based on Marvel Comics Armor Wars. Uh, and... Wait. Okay. I wonder if they're going to do the bit where the armor falls in love with Tony and just make it happen to Rhodey. Because that would be funny. That would be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Guardians of, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special coming next year. And finally, I Am Groot, a series of shorts featuring new characters from around the Marvel Universe. There you go. Oh, interesting. All right. And they also uh, showed some footage from the new Ms. Marvel. Oh, yes. And Captain Marvel uh, 2 is coming as a new director's name. I don't have. But uh, Ms. Marvel will be, from the live action TV show, will be appearing in the... Captain Marvel 2 movie, so. Awesome. Well, Heidi has kind of, um, you know, stared at a live stream for hours so that we don't have to. Um, yes. And much appreciated. Well, it was fun, though. <laughs> you know, you guys, it's, you know, we've all missed live events. And, um, I mean, as we were saying about DC Fandom, you know, I mean, it's fun when there's a, an online event that actually gets you excited and, you know, has real news. And let's face it, Disney's the top of the top of the line right now you know i mean they also mention a lot of business stuff that's pretty interesting about you know disney plus has 89 million subscribers Mm -hmm. and i mean they are relaunching in 
uh, internationally with Disney Plus, and you know, like in India, they have Disney Plus that shows cricket because in India they love cricket. So you know, Disney Plus is doing incredibly. And you know, and one of the things that actually, as as we are about to segue to uh, the doings at, at Warner Media. Uh, and I'd be curious to know what you think of this, Heidi. Uh, I mean, Disney is so self-assured, so successful. Things seem to be falling, uh, their way. They also seem to be very strategic. Uh, and, and then, and then there's Warner Media. Uh, so I'm just wondering how this really, you know, this fat Disney plus just Disney, uh, juggernaut. Uh, right. Is it like, well, you know, listen, some of these crazy moves that we see well, at Warner you know, Media. Well, you know, listen, I desperate to keep up at both Disney and at Warner Media or DC Comics. Um, you know, I'll, I say this every time. You know, twenty years ago, a lot has changed in twenty years. Um, however, you know, culture uh, is you know lasts a little while, and um, you know. I think a lot of people who've worked for both companies would would agree with me that Warner is just always chasing Disney as far as their, you know, exploiting their IP goes. And Warner has a lot of great IP. And, you know, traditionally they're really great at making adult entertainment, you know, movies, um, you know, like Goodfellas and stuff like that. Um, so so there's a lot of things they do better than Disney. But, um, yeah. And didn't, well, didn't Warner have a reputation as being like uh – um, uh, g- careful about their relations with their artists, solicitous uh, to artists. Um, very much you know, so. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, Whereas, you know, Disney, unfortunately, you know, has a reputation as sometimes steamrolling over the creative. Um, but, you know, obviously, Disney's very, 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 very successful. Yeah. So anyway, I wrote a story earlier this week also. Just um, yes. last week, Warner Media, AT&T, owner of Warner Media, announced that they would be releasing their entire 2021 theatrical slate on simultaneously on HBO Max and in theaters. Now, you know, in Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, Vietnam, you know, a lot of Asia, you can go to the movies. It's fine. So that's nice. But, yeah. you know, most of the world, you can't. Um, and this set off a firestorm. I mean, this includes, um, the movies that include Dune, Dennis, this remake of Dune, which we've been drooling over. It looks incredible by Dennis, uh, Villanueva and, um, Kong versus Godzilla, um, the Suicide Squad, not to be confused with Suicide Squad, you know, the new James Gunn movie. Uh, I mean, this is a huge slate of films. And there was immediate shock, pushback, cries of terror, pain, anger from Hollywood because apparently they didn't tell anyone they were. No, they were trying. I mean, it's amazing to even consider this because, I mean, I, I mean, the, well, first of all, the money that yeah. would have been involved that they are giving up, uh, 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 the creators are stunned that they weren't consulted about this. As particularly those who really feel that their film needs to be seen in a theater, uh, that, and we won't even talk about what the theater owners must think of this. Uh, I'm just I'm flabbergasted. Um, but you know what? It also I will say this, and I apologize because I'm, I'm sort of dragging it back to publishing. Uh, you know, at one point in, in our long conversations about what in the hell are they doing in the direct market? What are they doing to DC Comics? Well, it seems that they're making decisions that are sort of shocking and hard to understand across all of their business, even on the mega blockbuster side. There's a lot of very strange reasoning going on here. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, and not only some of their choices, if they had sold them differently, if they had explained themselves better, if they had, oh, I don't know, use the PR team ter- that teams that I'm sure they haven't fired all of, maybe this wouldn't have been such a disastrous PR moment. But you know what? It's but not just picked- PR. I'm sorry, Kate, go on. But I don't mean just like, I, I guess I don't really mean public relations. I mean talent relations. Uh-huh. I mean, part well, that's of That's a major what, part of it. Yeah, go on. Yeah, part of what seems to have made people so mad. I mean, they would have been unhappy no matter what, but so mad is that everyone got blindsided by this. 
um, and didn't have any chance to negotiate or anything. And it just has the same kind of lack of transparency that has everyone doing so much Kremlinology around what's going on at DC. Yeah, it really much is really is cut from the same cloth. You know, there was a great yeah. story. Uh, in my story, I quoted liberally. I mean, really, just you know, great, great reporting by uh, Kim Masters, the Hollywood Reporter. Um, you know, one of the best entertainment reporters out there. She's really my idol. Uh, she got Christopher Nolan going. I mean, he, then, you know, that guy's hopping mad. And he oh, yes, is, boy. uh, you know, he says, well, yeah, to, to, to Calvin's point, Warner, Christopher Nolan says, Warner Brothers had an incredible machine for getting the film worker, film, filmmakers work out everywhere, both in theaters and the home, and they are dismantling it as they speak. Um, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. Woo! Better put <laughs> I mean, it really is. Burn. I mean, it's just like, hey, we're using your uh, hard, uh, hard-earned work uh, to try to flag down anybody we can for this this yeah. streaming service that doesn't seem to be catching on. Uh, I mean, it's really kind of extraordinary. But it's, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you know, there's this other story in on uh, CNET, uh, CNBC, pardon me, written by a guy named Alex Sherman, who I'd never read before. And I will tell you, this is one of the best stories I have ever read. It's called AT&T Dismantles Time Warner to Battle Netflix. The inside story. And it just goes back, really talks about AT&T and John Stanky, who runs AT&T. And, you know, he does not get content. It's like, as I summed it up, they're putting the streaming cart before the content horse. Yeah. 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 If, if I may, I would point out um, uh, our former colleague, uh, Steve Zajic, who, you know, after leaving PW, went on to write about the movie industry. And he's, he writes for The Washington Post now. He also has a bunch of articles also that, that probe this quite well. So, oh, I'll uh, have to check that out. Steve Zajic at The Washington Post. Yeah, so. he's a great reporter also. And I mean, yeah. I, you know, I mean, there's plenty of people willing to go on the record as just what the hell are they doing? Uh, because it's obvious that they don't know what they're doing. And the entire, uh, you know, the biggest names there are, you know, Stanky, Jason Kilar, who's the head of Warner Media, and Sarnoff, who's running the studio. None of them actually have hands-on experience making movies. And sometimes, that can be a problem. And you know, it all trickles down to DC. It's just like, but, it, but yes. it's, it's so like what we've been talking, you know, certainly when we talked to Brian Hibbs last week, it's just like kind of this disdain for content. Yeah. I mean, that's what's amazing is that we're looking at all of the decisions they're making around DC and around the, the direct market, uh, and around distribution and all of the legacy, uh, the legacy channels and, and we're scratching our heads trying to figure out what are they doing? I mean, you know, even if it doesn't make a lot of money, you know, it works. Mm-hmm. It makes money. Um, it's not really broken uh, or or not as broken as it will be after you get done with it. But yeah. you know what? They're doing the same thing at every level. Yeah. They're making decisions no one quite understands. I mean, to give up on theaters at this point as a vaccine is arriving – and we don't know what the world is going to be like, say, in fall of 2021. It just seems like um, not the best call, in especially in comparison with what you're telling us about uh, about DC. I mean, I mean, excuse me, Disney. I, I don't think Disney is doing the same kind. They're not well, pulling Disney, all their movies. But you, and you know, they're going to stream some things, but not everything. Yeah, but my guess, I I could be wrong, but the cynical part of me says that they're doing this so that they can use the pandemic as an excuse to 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 throw their entire slate behind HBO Max. And well, that if they did it a minute later, they wouldn't <laughs> be able to argue we're doing it for public safety. But right now they're trying to use the pandemic as a shield. That's what my mm, instinct tells yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You got a very good point there, Kate. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, the, the really weird thing about this all is that HBO Max is really an incredible service. Now, as you guys may know, if you listen to this, I apologize. I say it every week. I do, but it's like, like how many, it's like, you know, how many weeks do I have to say this? Is this I, the Roku problem? It's the Roku thing, but I've been, <laughs> yes. but my point is, I've been saying this for six months and yeah, I still no, can't right. get the freaking HBO Max on my Roku, except, you know well, they're what? Negoti- 
They haven't. Isn't it a? Isn't it a, like a lawyer problem? Is it a they're what? Playing hardball. Yeah, it's a lawyer problem. I mean, their their lawyers are battling out about making it available. Isn't that what yeah, the but problem here's is? The thing. It's See, about the, the revenue share. It's like who yeah. gets how much of the revenue. And you know, here's the thing: is that you know they just made a deal with Amazon. And now the Roku is the holdout. But the point is, you know, they launched this. They raced this. You know, at and is obsessed with controlling the platform, okay? Mm. And they raced out to get HBO Max out without a lead, you know, series. Disney Plus launched with The Mandalorian. Smartest yep. move. Smart. Uh, HBO yep. did not have a leader. People like it. Okay? And so, and also, you know, don't trust your... Don't trust your content. It's like, you know, sure, Roku and Amazon, uh, you know, Fire Stick may want a little too much of this. Well, you know what? Give it to the people and then yeah. get them yeah. hooked on it and then you make your deal. It's like you're not acting from a position. You're not negotiating from a position of strength. You need subscribers, not, you know, it's just so short uh, yeah. And they're not, they're not good at it at all. So I'll give you an example. My parents are in their 70s. They have subscribed to HBO for 40 years. 40 years and <laughs> they are going to unsubscribe from HBO in order to get HBO max because they don't see any point in buying both. And HBO decided to play hardball with a lot of the cable companies. So you can't get the two bundled together with a lot of cable companies without paying Jesus that. Christ. Yeah. So like they would have to pay $15 for HBO and $15 for HBO Max if they wanted to have both. So they had to give up. They were like, okay, so we'll give up the cable channel in order to have the app. But they're like, they're in their seventies, right? So they don't have a lot of patience with technology. Right. It's not they can't use it. They just don't have a lot of patience for it. And so like if HBO Max is crappy when they try to use it in order to watch all these new movies, HBO might just lose two 40 year subscribers. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you know, I finally, and you know, I've been subscribing to HBO Max as I got this disc just before I launched, so I've been subscribing for six months without being able to watch it. However, I might have mentioned this the last time. No, I didn't because it was a, so I just got a new phone. I got the iPhone 12, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. It's amazing. And now, I with the new software that updated, I can finally stream from my phone to my very old non-smart TV. So I can finally watch HBO Max on TV by mirroring my cell phone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, you know, Jason Kalar, uh, he had this, like, like and he said this 10 years ago, but he just says, He's, he's always saying things like this. He, you know, again, he's the guy who runs Warner Media. You know, he ran, he launched Hulu. Okay, very good. But he does not have a background in production. He says, the best way to find success in business, and certainly with the internet, is to start with the customer. If we start our days and end our days <laughs> focused on the customer, we're going to lead the industry. It's like, buddy, you wouldn't know a customer if you they, he, they, they clearly aren't thinking about the customer yeah. at you, all. You should ask some customers what they want, people. Because, yeah, yeah, they don't give a shit about the customer. I mean, yeah. no. Now, and so meanwhile, just again, to, you know, rub Warner's nose in Disney's success, you know, they're talking on this about, you know, yeah, obviously they're launching Cricket in India on Disney Plus, okay? It's like they are uh, rolling out, and they're like, oh, oh, we're also going to have to raise the price. It's like, oh, well, if I want my cricket, I got to pay another four pounds and they'll pay it. So it's like, get the people hooked on your awesome, awesome content. And people then. They want the content. They yes. don't care about your platform as a platform. Right. They just want the content. That's yes. True. I mean, so to give you an true. example, the, the only thing that gives me some doubt that HBO Max is the worst major streaming service is that uh, Apple Plus exists. Right. Um, I just got Apple Plus <laughs> free with my new iPod, and it has like ten shows. But I, they paid a lot of money for each I, one of them. Oh yeah, they did. But they <laughs> they have like they don't see, they've missed like the whole like back catalog like concept that keeps people coming back because like once you watch those ten shows, what do you watch? Uh, are you going to keep paying? I don't think so. Yeah. Well. You know, moving on to our next story on the list, 
Um, and, and, you know, again, after all of this, really all the turmoil in DC Comics makes a lot more sense. But, you know, then yes. it just became official today or yesterday that, as we've been talking about on here for a couple months, Sony has bought Crunchyroll. Now, Crunchyroll, as we've said, was a very successful streaming service owned by yeah. Warner Media, which is what they want to do. They want to stream things. But let's sell off this small streaming service that doesn't fit into our – it doesn't make any sense. Well, all I can it say is it doesn't well, make any sense, but I'm thrilled because Crunchyroll deserves better. And, and also it doesn't make any sense unless you start talking about the debt that they're trying to navigate. So Yeah. Um, I mean so that I can they've understand. Gotta something. They've got to sell something. If it's, but you're if it's right. peripheral to their their core product. And they really need the money, and it's worth a lot of money. And selling it to a company that seems to know how to actually handle the anime market and knows what the anime market is might actually be the best for everyone all around, if they lack the imagination to like work with foreign properties. So I'm curious, what happens after this um, uh, acquisition? Does, does one of these brands disappear? Does Crunchyroll disappear into Funimation? They'd be fools if they did. I think Funimation will disappear into Crunchyroll because Crunchyroll oh, really? is a stronger brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they probably tried. will keep Funimation on like the DVDs and on the production company, but I, yeah, I think Funimation they'll... produces anime. Yeah, they do. Right. So they'll, or at least translations. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So I think I think they just won't keep the 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 service name Funimation. Mm-hmm. I think they'll. Just but the use, brand will be the brand that they'll be hyping will be Crunchyroll. The brand they'll be hyping for streaming will be Crunchyroll because Crunchyroll is the industry standard. If they don't keep Crunchyroll as the lead, if they try to make it Funimation, they're fools because then the market is wide open to anybody. But if it's Crunchyroll, they'll just keep their domination and then add it to their portfolio. Well, it, it seems interesting as anime seems to be just like a giant like. Um, snowball rolling down the hill, getting bigger and bigger as, as as it goes. That they're selling off this, you know, prime piece of content. Well, well but, but but you know, valuable things are the things you get money for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. know, you know, one of the things Brian said last week was that, um, you know, in our last episode, Brian Hibbs was that, uh, you know, he does believe that DC is going to try to license out their comics, and uh, I keep hearing that too. That's a pretty common. Mm-hmm belief in the industry right now however that deal is not a, i mean listen i know a lot of publishers who would you know i could publish batman where do i sign up except guess what they want too much money for the license yeah I've been so here. yeah, yeah. I've so seen that yeah so I mean, in other I mean, places, all yeah. of these stories end up being about how at&t uh bought direct tv and totally messed it up and you know what they're going to end up selling off warner media there's no question that that's not a good fit. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the yeah. way things are going, Disney will buy it, and that would suck. It yeah. would really stink. And they'll just fold the whole thing. So well, you know, Disney, so would Disney buy DC Comics and just fold DC and Marvel uh, all no, into one? Here's what I think. I think that if if they break down Warner Brothers for parts, Sony will buy a DC. That's where my money Sony? is. Sony? Sony. Why? Why would Sony buy DC? Because Sony would really like to be the biggest movie studio in America, and they're not at the moment, but they'd love it. And if they could get their hands on Batman, now that they don't have to fight with Fox, you know, like, Mm -hmm. they're they're going to... Yeah, they'd want it. Everyone they'd want would it. like to get their hands on Batman. Yeah, so that's that's a good point. Batman kind of makes everything make sense, yeah. 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 Well, well, we'll see. I mean, none of this seems to be bode well for the production of comics, um, he asked me. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, that's probably, you know, I, I'm sure most people or analysts would say, duh. Well, <laughs> I tell you, though, I think, I think there's, um, you know, so much of the Disney presentation was based on stuff from comics, you know, still. I mean, they, you know, they have animated series coming from comics. They have, you know, FX is doing Why the Last Man. I don't have a problem with Disney and comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> specifically. Because I think right. actually they respect it. Yeah, they do. have it in mind. Yeah. I, I'm worried about, you know, DC comics. Well, I, mean, I don't 
I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what the mm. time frame is. You know, is, is AT&T going to decide this experiment? Is it going to take them two years or five years or 20 years? You know, before they before, give up. Yeah. Yeah. Before they give up on this. But mm. my hope is that in, that they do giving up in the sense of like they did with Crunchyroll and like selling it to someone who knows what to do with it and not giving up in the sense of turning it into a zombie brand. Yeah. But, you know, you couldn't sell, you know, Warner Media without Batman. And the Justice League, yeah. Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, really, the whole Trinity figures in, but, but really, Batman is like what people want. <laughs> but, I mean, it's all the DC characters. I mean, oh, look at their yeah, they went off. shoes on the CW. I mean, and speaking of which, you know, I mean, now they're making a Naomi show with Ava DuVernay is, is developing. Yes. So, Calma, I mean. I think you have something to add on that subject. <laughs> Well, you know, I just think that um, this is a really interesting development. Uh, this character is brand new. Um, as it turns out, we have a podcast interview, uh, more to come, number 397. Um, uh, I, you know, I, 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 we did this sometimes, I think it was toward the end of 2019. But uh, uh, Naomi is a new character introduced into the DC universe uh, in a project kind of co-created by um, David Walker, I mean, the what, just won an Eisner for Bitter Root, um, a wonderful you know, black author, black comics writer who also has one foot in indie comics and one foot in um, in mainstream, you know, uh, corporate comics, and uh, Brian Michael Bendis, obviously um, acclaimed across the board, multiple Eisner awards. They're very close friends, uh, they live in Portland. Uh, they teach together. Uh, they know each other's families. I, I had a really interesting com- uh, conversation with the both of them about the launch of this uh, and the hardcover collection uh, uh, that came out. And uh, Naomi is a, a is an adopted teenage uh, uh, girl uh, of color. She's a black woman. Uh, she's been adopted by this white family. They live in. Uh, what is essentially Portland, um, in the, I guess in the way that Metropolis is really New York. Uh, this town, I think the town in the story is called Port, Ars- Port Oswego. Uh, and, uh, it's a combination of both, uh, introducing a new character of color into the DC universe, connecting her into some of the long running DC continuities and, um, uh, through her parents. Uh, and uh, it's also uh, uh, both for for David. It's a chance for him to write a character. Uh, he's uh, you know mixed race. Uh, he uh, he grew up on the East Coast, I think, in Connecticut and in Portland. And Brian Michael Business, uh, Mike, Brian Michael Bendis, who is the father of I think two adopted daughters. And so all of this personal experience plays into the creation of this character who is now on track to be developed into a TV show. And I just think it's really exciting. Uh, obviously, the director makes you, uh, you know, expect something really special. And uh, the comic side of it, I think, is really going to uh, have a big impact on it, too. But, so. I mean, what's really cool about that is exactly what we were just saying. You know, this launched us, uh, Naomi, the comic book launched as part of, uh, you know, Bendis had his whole, you know, Wonder Books imprint or whatever it was, right? And it was only, you're right, two years ago. And, you know, here it is in development. It's like, you know, guess what? It's not just these characters that were created 80 years ago. People are creating great IP right this minute. And, you know, like DC, you know, don't throw it away, AT&T. You have a goldmine of people who are willing to work for near, you know, ridiculously low rate wages just to create this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's so stupid to throw away this IP farm. Just stupid. And and really, and the characters really are developed to to, to really to aim at at the world we live in now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, DC had another announcement today. Uh, actually, they made it, you know, they've been teasing that there will be a black Batman. Uh, yes. Like John Ridley. And, uh, you know, they've been teasing it for a while. It's been in the rumor they thought it would be Luke Fox, the son of Lucius Fox. But they revealed today it's his lesser known son, Tim Fox. Uh, did you see uh-huh. this, um, Kate? What did you What did you make of that? It makes even less sense than we thought it when we thought it was Luke Fox. <laughs> okay. But you know, I mean, I have no problem with Black Batman. I want to say this right now. 
I just don't understand why it's that particular black character. Now, why? in practice, it may be very interesting, and we'll see. Well, because they already position Duke in there as, like, one of Batman's black superhero, his, his black superhero apprentice amongst, like, the Robins and Batgirls, etc. Like, he, he, if you wanted black Batman, why wouldn't you just make it Duke? I don't understand. But it's like, this character we created five minutes ago isn't good enough. We're just going to make a new one. But, um, okay, I mean, it could be fine. I'm not saying it'll be bad. I just don't really understand the logic. Well, John Rod Ridley's been uh, doing some interesting work for DC. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of his um, The American Way, which came out a long time ago, like 14 or 15 years ago, but it's really good. And, um, you know, since then he's won an Oscar and everything. So uh, it's being drawn by... Uh, man, I had it written down. I'm brain dead. Anyway, it looks good. They sent him a lot of preview art, and you know, it's part of this whole future state thing, so hopefully it mm-hmm. works out. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the nice thing about future state is if it doesn't work out, so what? <laughs> I mean, it, it has the advantage of being a possible future, which means we can keep anything we like and jettison anything that doesn't work, which I'm all in favor of. Yeah, okay. me too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of things that didn't work. (laughs) Interesting way you put that. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's any other way to describe it, so I guess you're right. Uh, Well, can we all, uh, you know, have a moment of silence here for uh, Book Expo uh, and Book Con? I think we should – for those who don't know, I think it'd be just very quickly – I mean, Book Expo – uh, you know, it, it, that's what we know it of now. Some of us who have been in this business for way too long, uh, it was, uh, at one point the American, uh, book, it, it was called the EAB, the American Bookseller Association Annual Convention. Uh, then it became Book Expo America, and then it became, you know, Book Expo. And then, uh, it developed a consumer twin called Book Con. <laughs> Super evil twin. <laughs> yeah, a clone. Yes, it was this evil, an evil twin. You made in a uh, Lex Luthor's uh, factory, you know, uh, in a in a lab. Uh, but this was the biggest trade book trade show uh, in a, in the country. Uh, when I first started going to it, it was you know forty or fifty thousand people, uh, and it was held in places around the country and. Miami and New Orleans and LA and Chicago. Uh, but you know what? The, 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 it, it was a show without a purpose that was constantly trying to, uh, recreate, reimagine itself. Uh, it was a show that was supposed to bring together publishers, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and retailers, uh, and the, and, uh, it to, to both to do deals, to figure out what the retailers want. To work back and forth, it was a trade show in the in the, the the pure sense of the word. Over time, the things that you would do at the show were kind of uh, taken over by technology, uh, because you were in touch with people all the time. The internet changed everything, uh, and of course, attending the show uh, became more and more expensive, especially after it was kind of uh, stationed uh, in New York. So, uh, it, it was a show without a purpose. Uh, that people could clearly define. It, it's, it, it was basically a publicity platform, a promotional platform at the end, but the pandemic killed it all. So, mm. uh, they, the, uh, the, uh, showrunner, the, um, uh, Jenny Martin for Book Expo and, and Read Pop, uh, described it as retiring the shows. Uh, basically at the end, basically it was only the big, Five, soon to be big four, uh, if, if, if the PRH uh, acquires Simon and Schuster, uh, that wanted it in New York, and so that's where it was because they buy a lot of the space and their their authors generate a lot of the economics to keep the show alive. Um, but uh, I actually personally believe that something else will come up to replace it uh, in the next couple of years. We'll have to see about that. 
But it's got to be a different kind of show. And what that show will be, I, I don't know. Well, you know, Calvin, when you say the pandemic killed book, uh, book expo, I mean, it had a lot of comorbidities, you know. I mean, it had, was, it was overweight. It had diabetes. Yeah. It had a heart yeah. problem. I mean, the it show had, had been ailing. The yeah. book expo every year, they were trying to reinvent it. And every year there would yeah. be focus groups and, you know, like, and then Random House would say, we want book expo, you know, and that was well, they, really what. Yeah. Yeah, no, go on. I'm sorry. Go on. No, I'm just saying that's why they kept doing it, you know. Uh, and, and like you say, the big glamorous, pu- you know, the publishers for whom the world, New York publishers, that old world, you know, there was so many parties and authors. I mean, it was it was a huge tradition, right, Kelvin? I mean, how many oh, the old to? the old book expo was actually thrilling and fun. <clears throat> now, consumers didn't really get in. <clears throat> excuse me, because it was it's not a show. For consumers, and in fact, what's been happening over the last ten years really is kind of a uh, a group of publishers that thought it should be more like Comic Con, frankly, mm-hmm. and although a, a a very powerful group in the industry that wanted it to be nothing like Comic Con, and this kept going on. But so BookCon was its attempt to kind of, excuse me to spin that part of the uh, of the equation off into its own show. And then um, before some other problems started, BookCon was getting bigger and bigger and, and more lively and fun. And, of course, Book Expo was shrinking, mm. um, becoming more expensive, and more and more people wondering, why are we you know, spending all this money when we can't really figure out the benefit to us? You know, so, I feel like – I feel like just one little one little postmortem on book book expo. Now, did you ever go, Kate? Did you go? I I went for like I think a very tail end of BookCon. I didn't have much time there. Yeah, because I'll I'll say this, and I, Calvin, I've said this before, probably said it on this podcast. So again, forgive me, but you know I'll stand by it. Um, you know, you, if you meet your favorite author, you never forget it. You know, sure. you'll remember that your whole life. Like, you know, I remember I've said, I interviewed William Gibson, my favorite living author for this very podcast. I still think of that. One of my absolute top 10 highlights, getting to talk to him for half an hour. Um, so Book Expo ABA was really based on the excitement of people getting to meet these great authors. Okay. And yet, he, okay, it was a trade show and you would have the programming was just dull as dishwater. No offense. You know, look, I know booksellers want to hear programming that's, you know, like how to screw in shelves, the latest in screwdrivers. And I mean, I'm hardly exaggerating, but I mean, I just don't understand how you have all these vibrant, super intelligent, creative people at this sh- you know, show and then, and you know, guess what? In modern times, it's all about social media. It's all about the sound bites. It's all about, you know, getting the headlines. And it's like, they just, you know, it was never, you know, at Comic Con, every time you have a panel, it's like, oh my God, you know, Dan Slott said, what? You know, but, but they just couldn't get that heat at, at Book Expo. Well, that's true. But I should say this now, you know, you're absolutely right. I'm not disputing any of that. <clears throat> we should say that comics invaded uh, Book Expo. And if you wanted to find some good and exciting programming at Book Expos, very often it were the <laughs> comics panel. So I will say this. Uh, I moderated some of the, many of these yes. panels, uh, yes. uh, um, uh, and, and others. And so I will say this. Uh, uh comics, uh, injected, uh, you know, you know, some life into it. But, mm-hmm. you know, comics couldn't save Book Expo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They you could. Know, I'm but I, I sad mean- to say. Yeah, and and I I do think that the uh, conservative publishers, you know, there is a small group that still doesn't like comics, okay? And a lot of them happen to be the higher echelons of the book publishing industry who are very, you know, entrenched in their careers. And, you know, uh, they're they're dying off, so. Well, I (laughs) I will say this. Part of what the problem was is this. The trade people are very, uh, when you're in a trade situation and you're talking with people who are making economic decisions about how your books will be used, where they will be placed, is there co-op money? These are professional conversations. Absolutely. 100%. When you when you have a mob of fans who want to get a t-shirt or want to get uh you know a book sign, 
it becomes a very difficult problem. I, I, I don't want to dismiss the concerns they have. Trade show, I mean, Comic-Con in San Diego is a kind of a hybrid event. It does both, even though it's really a consumer show. But Book Expo, that, that's a big leap from being able to sit down with librarians and booksellers and really talk business when you have, like, mobs of fans who are looking yeah, for free true. stuff. It's a well, different world. Well, I mean, that's world. why they had the the book con. That's why they tried day. to do with book con. But Calvin, it, don't it, haven't yeah, you on, ever been to? Haven't you ever been? Is it the Frankfurt Book Fair and the London Book Fair where they have yeah. both very successfully? Uh, yeah, they do. It's interesting. I mean, they do the Frankfurt Book Fair, especially. So I haven't been to the London Book Fair. The Frankfurt Book Fair does integrate. Uh, consumers into its operations in ways that I was impressed with. Uh, it's not, they don't, they're not, they're, they're not in every day, but at the end of the show, they just like, they let consumers and fans just take over and mm-hmm. roam the place and come, you, you have to buy a ticket, but thousands of fans turn out. Uh, Book Expo couldn't quite get it together. Plus, the fact of the matter is, they were always, uh, as as pop culture conventions became more and more profitable and more and more and more and more not simply just for uh, obsessives like us, uh, it, 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 I think it created a problem within the organization. These things were booming. They were growing. They were making big money. And the trade shows, and particularly the book trade shows, they you couldn't compare. Yeah. You just couldn't. And so they were kind of a victim of being kind of like drab when there's a, you know, there's a sexy new coworker that everybody wants to hang around their desk. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it was. You know, everybody wants to hang out around the water cooler with the, with the new kid. And, you know, old, uh, Professor BookCon over, here, uh, Book Expo, well, we'll, we'll go let him, you know, uh, you know, work on the, he can go work on the spreadsheets. And, uh, and, and we're going to go have a drink with, um, Book con. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's well, one way to describe it. Will be it. Back, but man, it uh, that's the first you know book expo is an institution. And I should say, everyone, uh, we did a lot of follow ups about this. Everyone says we want something, but we wanted a new kind of event. So we'll see whether that can happen. Um, something new, something different than what Book Expo. Well, I don't doubt that there will be a new and exciting event because I, people love books. People love authors. It's so vibrant and exciting. How do you do? Oh. And we need something where the entire industry is in yes. one place talking to each other. That's got to happen again. And I think, uh, as once again, as we all take our vaccine showers, Maybe we can come up with something else, <laughs> some other way to uh, to talk about books in a professional setting um, that's exciting and fun and points to you know where the industry is heading. Amen. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, best graphic novels of the year. There's two out now from the New York Times and from the Guardian. Yeah. So these are two papers that, to be frank, I wouldn't have expected a best graphic novels of the year list from, but you know. More power to them. Well, um, I don't think they're, the Guardian's been doing it for years. Well, that I didn't know. I didn't even look for it because it didn't even occur to me the Guardian would do it. It's a quirky list, that's for sure. Yeah, they're both kind of quirky lists, but in a cool way. Um, so they really, they don't have any, like, big, like, quote-unquote mainstream publishers. Um they're, but in another way, they're more mainstream as in aimed at the bookstore market. Um, so, you know, they have Dirk Backdurf's Kent State. They have pay, Joe Sacco's Paying the Land, both of which we talked about on here. They've got some ones we haven't talked about, like, uh, Menopause, Breakwater, Welcome to the New World. But, um, uh, I will say this. The New York Times has more overlap, for instance, with what publishes weekly with our yeah. best books of the year because uh, we have Paying the Land. We have The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by Adrian Tomine, Tomine, uh Kent State also from uh, uh, Drift of and, and also Welcome to the New World is on the Times list as well. So uh, good list all around. And, and we can also use this uh, occasion to point people to publishersweekly.com slash comics. So you can see PW's 
best books of 2020 yeah. also. Whereas meanwhile, <laughs> The Guardian has such eccentric um, gems as Dragman. Um, yes. <laughs> a, about a uh, middle-aged gentleman who gets superpowers whenever he is in drag. Yeah. Um, or I know, didn't even know that book came out. Yep. Yeah, a lot of those books yeah. I never even heard of. Yeah. And that takes some doing. If Heidi hasn't heard of you. If Heidi hasn't heard I, I agree. No, I, I did know about Dragman because the book came into the PW offices and uh, we reviewed it and everything. But they've got some... Um, They've got a very yeah, well, independent reviewer here. Very, I'm not saying yes. they're bad choices. They're definitely very no, interesting, good choices. They're just they're just unique, and they they show someone who has a very deep and broad knowledge of comics writing. This. Yeah, absolutely, I would agree. So so check it out, folks. And I should say very quickly um, uh, that um, PW has also. Listed. I tell you know what we're not going to talk about it now because it's behind the paywall. But we've also um, uh, done our spring twenty twenty one graphic novels and a top ten. But we'll, I'm, let's save it for another show, uh, and particularly since um, it's behind the paywall and you can't get to it anyway. So, okay. Calvin, is it time? Uh, you know what? The, I, I, it's time for me to just mention very quickly that uh, uh, people should go to publishersweekly.com slash comics because I have an interview with the dynamic John Jennings, uh, who is, uh, besides being the uh, adapter of uh, Octavia Butler's Kindred uh, uh, and Parable of the Sower, uh, you know, acclaimed science fiction novels and turn them into graphic novels, uh, he is the head of a new imprint at Abrams Comics Art called Megascope. Uh, so I talked to him about uh, what Megascope is doing, what its mission is, which is basically is to be a platform for all kinds of paranormal, supernatural, uh, speculative fiction uh, out of the um, uh, black people, people of color, uh, and in any kind of um, work that's kind of forgotten. So uh, check that out, publisherswiki.com slash comics. And um, and hear my interview with John Jennings, or we'll read my interview with John Jennings. Put it that way. Awesome. And so, Calvin, is it time? Uh, <laughs> Hurry up, please! It's time. Is it time? I'm I'm confused now. Time for what? Cal- Calvin, for us to talk about our books. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. Personal picks. Just a you know personal book this year. Yeah. So right. you, go so, ahead, Kate. So basically, with 2020 uh, being what it is, most of us haven't gotten to the comic book store that often. So it means that a lot of things have slipped through the cracks. Certainly, I'm sure there's a lot of things I've missed. But so today we're going to be, just in time for Christmas, highlighting a couple books that came out in 2020 that we want to tell you about. Calvin, you want to lead us in with yours? Well, I'll do that. You know what? Uh, This is a book that uh, was scheduled to come out in February 2020. Uh, the uh, pandemic uh, changed all of that. It was delayed till much later in the year. Uh, but it's a book. Uh, I, I just think it's a wonderful book. It's called Band Book Club, and it's by Kim Hyun Sook, uh, who is really and it's really her life story. Uh, really being a student in Korea in the early '80s under a, a repressive uh, um, military regime in Korea. Uh, it's illustrated by Ko Hyung Joo, and it's also co-written by. Ryan Estrada, who's married to Kim Hyung Sook. Uh, it's her story. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, and it's also, uh, uh, um, com- uh, incredibly informative about Korea and the political situation, but also about a group of absolutely fearless college students that, um, um, basically got together to read books that were banned by the regime under threat of arrest or worse. So it's published by Iron Circus Comics, Banned Book Club by um, by Kim Hyuk Sook. Go out and get it. Uh, it's a really great book that deserves your attention. And on a lighter note, an adorable fluffy book about a fairly dark topic, Heroes at Home from Marvel. Um, so it's created by Zeb Wells and Gura Hiru. It has just come out in like little adorable little stocking stuffer book um, this December where they are these hilarious frequently wordless um, mini comics, basically uh, setting uh, major Marvel heroes in just 
funny little slice of life pandemic situations. It's so adorable and so funny. And if this weren't 2020, it would make no sense. But it's perfect. Come on, pick it up. Nice. Pick it in the stocking. I want to check of, that one out. Of, uh, check it out. Fan in your life who just so, who just needs a little lighthearted 2020 humor. Well, we all need that for sure. You know, I uh, had, did not read enough books this year. I'm just going to plug this book because it, it's definitely one of the books of the year. A lot of people have been talking about it. The Magic Fish by Trung Lee Nguyen and uh, published by Random House Graphic and, uh, you know, it's a really beautiful, well, first off, you know, he's known as Trungles and I mean, just the art is incredible. He's such a great artist and uh, it's about uh, a young Vietnamese man who has to deal with, um, you know, the fact that he is uh, gay and his family doesn't quite get it. I, you know what? And I'll, I'll back you up on that. Uh, it's a terrific book. I've read it. Um, and, uh, I interviewed, uh, Trung on the virtual, um, book expo. Uh, so absolutely. And it also is great the way it brings together Western and Vietnamese fairy tales. It's yeah. a really wonderful book. It, it, you, you're absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. It's really terrific. All right. Oh, well, now that's, note, on that note, there will be more to come. Hey, Heidi, you left me on that one. I, 